Hello, this is Grace Hayes, and you're listening to Up in the Mix. Welcome to another edition of Up in the Mix, coming to you hot from the Honeycomb Hideout and various other locations. This is Sean, a.k.a. The Truth, a.k.a. The Super Nicest, a.k.a. The Nar Mr. R, a.k.a. Not the Black Dude that you thought I was. This is Caesar, a.k.a. De La Foto, your favorite neighborhood Mexican, Ernesto, Captain Culo, Coach, Mr. Brunch, your local also that poppy with the dad body, the brown man in the yacht club. How the fuck did he get here? El hombre de la gente, the habitual line crosser, the honey badger, the fucking baby whisperer, and tracksuit poppy. <laughs> tracksuit poppy gets me every time. It's good. I'm excited. Ian took a good picture of tracksuit poppy today. So uh, how, how's it been? We're back to our normal recording schedule. How was your last week? Uh, last week was good, just like usual, working from home, um, going a little crazy every day, you know? Because how the schedule works, I work from home, I get, uh, you know, my 9 to 5, work from home, and 5 o'clock hits, I start making dinner for the family. So when the lady comes with the baby, dinner's ready, and we're ready to, you know, do family things. So it's just like Monday through Friday, I don't leave the house. So it drives me just a little bit crazy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. That sucks. Yeah, but what's awesome is the weekends. And with the weekends, I get to go out early in the morning, ride my bicycle. Like to, like today, I rode my bike with a JT. Salute to JT. And uh, rode our bike this morning, hung out at Magpie, and still doing our social distancing. You know, we're, you know, spread apart, six feet, wearing masks, having coffee, having fun. I saw a picture of you guys. Salutes to Ian. Yeah. Uh, you and JT. Ian, JT. Chilling, was there. Uh, socially distant. Yes. Salute to Old Dirty Gilder as well. Salute to Ricky. Um, a lot of people showed up like usual. It was almost like a public house moment, you know? Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I saw uh, Ricky last week at the park. Mm-hmm. Um, so them, I know I know he, he listens to the show. So Yeah. How was your week? Uh, it was odd. You know, we, uh, we the Tuesday and Wednesday I spent... Uh, working on our online professional development that I put off all summer and, and did work on. Ian was saying that too, yep. Thursday uh, went back to, to work for the first time, back in the school building in uh, you know, a place I didn't think I would be. I don't know. It's it just, it's weird, you know. Um, with, yeah, it's with a, everything that's going on. Like, it's a weird situation. Yeah. So uh, speaking of weird situation, we have a guest here that's going to expand on that more. Uh, he is a teacher. He's an activist. He started ENT, Empower Nevada Teachers, a nonprofit. Uh, welcome to the show, Kaylin Evans. Welcome, welcome. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for being here and taking a little bit of your time to uh, join Absolutely. us in a conversation. Yeah, we know you've been busy with all the stuff going on lately. It's been um, actually, man, definitely not a normal summer, that's for sure. Yeah. yeah. 
we've been grinding hard all summer long on these things, trying to be active, trying mm -hmm. to make sure that teachers' voices are being heard. And uh, so every day, you know, waking up to, you know, 50, 60, 100 plus text messages, trying to keep keep everything moving. But it's a uh, it's a lot of work, but it's it's gratifying because we know we're doing a lot of good things for people. Mm -hmm. Tell us about your background. Like you're you're from Reno. Um, yeah, yeah, from Reno. Um, you know, I was born in Fallon, actually, about an hour away. Moved here when I was two, though. So, you know, basically raised my whole life here. Went to school up in Northwest Reno. Got my undergrad um, in uh, child development at the university, and then I went ahead and got my master's in education. Um, started teaching about seven years ago. Uh, I worked um, over at Lemelson STEM Academy now. It's a lower socioeconomic school over there by the university. Um, used to be Sierra Vista. Um, there's STEM school now, and that's basically all my professional uh, experience has been with STEM education. And that's really where my passion lies from a professional standpoint. So I moved into the STEM coordinator position there. So I actually get an opportunity to work with um, all the grade levels, K through five now. Uh, we design and implement the curriculum that goes into the school, help teachers implement it. Um, a lot of co-teaching. So what's nice is every day is different. You know, I might spend my morning time in a kindergarten class and then work my way over to a third grade class for a little while and then end it with the fifth graders. So I get to, you know, get to see all the kids, work with all the kids, spend a lot of time in the classroom and then just help teachers kind of develop their own personal aptitude for STEM education. And so, yeah. Oh. yeah. You could kind of get the best of best of both worlds there. You, mm -hmm. you're helping out your your fellow educators, but you still get time in the classroom with the kids. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, and that was a big thing when I took the position was making sure that I didn't get pulled out of the classroom entirely. Because you know, a lot of times when you start working into those rule those roles where you're more focused on teacher facilitation and trying to help develop teachers, then a lot of times you can get get pulled out. And you know, I mean, I got into this entirely because of children. And so, you know, want to make sure that that always is a part of what I'm doing professionally. So how did you go from a teacher to starting uh, Empower Nevada Teachers? What inspired you to start this group? Yeah, you know, I just, it, the, the, I think the, the real catalyst was the last legislative session in 2018. We came out of that session, you know, we had a blue wave hit the state, we elected Democrats up and down the board. And I know myself and other educators, especially who voted for these candidates to help get them elected, really felt like this was gonna be our time for education to finally get supported and get voiced here in Nevada. And uh, that just wasn't the case, you know, not, not in the case at all. Uh, we left that, legislati left that legislative session completely, um, I was pissed. And, you know, I, at the time we had our old superintendent, um, and there, Tracy Davis, and the culture amongst the district was extremely toxic. You know, I'm in the hallway walking through, and, and my fellow teachers are just, you know, saying, I've just had enough. You know, I don't want to do this anymore. This isn't what it, you know, this isn't what I signed up for. The passion, the, the love of being able to work with kids is getting taken away from them because their, you know, class sizes are largest in the country. They have all these unfunded mandates that they have to, uh, you know, have, they have to follow through on. And it just became something for myself where I said, we got to do something, you know, like we have to do something. And we didn't know, I didn't know what I was doing, but I knew I was going to do something. And that was the thing, you know, so we just, I basically had a friend because I had 
kind of got off social media for set, for a few years. Um, and I said, hey, how do I create a Facebook group? Like, I want to go. And she, you know, walked me through it. And it was really organic how everything happened. You know, we just, it started, we started posting information specifically to educators in Northern Nevada that we felt was relevant to them. Um, helping them understand like the true dire situation that our school system is in. And it just blew up from there. And then people really started coming around and wanting to get active. And from there, you know, we're only about 14, 15 months old as an organization. And we went from, you know, nothing to base to being, you know, a strong voice in this community that teachers are coming to um, looking at for guidance. public education in Nevada and you believe that you know we need to do better then this is this place for you and we are unapologetically in support of um, our profession because we understand that the most important resource we can provide our students is their teacher you know it, it, there's nothing more important than a exactly for the impact and the growth and so I think that over that gets so overlooked so many times, right? We always keep thinking about, you know, the kids and the kids. Of course, that's why we're here, right, Sean? Like, that's why you're a teacher is because of the children. That's what we do it for. But if, right. you, don't, if you don't have a teacher, you know, if you, if you don't have a, a supported, um, empowered teacher, you don't have a supported and empowered student body. You know, you can't have one without the other. And so, yeah, we just, we jumped in it. We built a leadership team from the ground up. We didn't really know what we were doing at the time, but again, we just kept saying, let's just, you know, let's just lead. Let's just, let's be the ones who are saying the things that other teachers are scared to say. Um, let's not be afraid to put our voices to this message. And it, it's taken a while, but because the, the culture in this district, which a lot of people don't know for educators, for a long time has been extremely oppressive in terms of being able to speak out and speak up about the things that are going around you. You know, like the idea of blacklisting in terms of the education was happening all the time. And so people mm -hmm. were really scared to, to speak out about the issues that they were seeing. And, you know, you kind of, once you, once one person starts to do it and you see them, that empowers you to feel like, you know what, I can get active too. And then you start seeing people get active and uh, that's all we want to do. We're just about activism getting getting educators and not just educators we have a ton of community members who get um get involved but you know it, it's on us to be able to fix this public education system you know we got to stop hoping that politicians are going to come in and save us you know like right you know voting is extremely important you know like we have to put the right people but at the end of the day we are putting pro-education people in power and it still isn't changing Right. So, you know, everyone's pro education when they're running for office, you know, oh, I love education, education, education. But then all of a sudden, when when it when it comes down to it, we don't you know, we could get into the statistics, but there isn't a politician that can sit here for a second and try to tell me that education is adequately funded and resourced in Nevada, because if they do, they're absolutely lying to you. Especially when it comes when, so. it, when it comes to the budget and making that Caesar muted. You're still muted, Caesar. All right. Let's see. Let me unmute myself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I got the money. There you go. Yeah. So, like, it when it comes to the money and the budget, you know, yeah. uh, education they always say about it first, but when it comes to the nitty gritty, the budget, then they start fleeing away from it. 
hundred percent. You know, we're one of the lowest funded states for education in the country. We range anywhere from 47 to 48, and we've never really hovered anything higher than that for decades. You know, we still haven't even recovered from the 2008 recession when we cut exactly. about 18% of the education budget. Today, if you if you factor in inflation, we still haven't even brought back that funding prior to COVID. And then we cut over $100 million from public education. And what people don't, and then what happens is people wonder why Nevada public education is, is shit. Well, it's shit because you're not funding it. You're not, it, it's, not it's not a priority to you. It, Resources it, are needed. Yes, bro. Like it's, it, it, it's so ridiculous to think, because then what do they do? Well, teachers need to do better. Right. Let's 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 implement more evaluation protocols for teachers because we got to make sure that teachers are doing the right thing. Right. Or let let's let's oh, we're going to we're going to put in this mandate, for example, class sizes. So Nevada has the largest class sizes in the entire country. Okay? We average about 40 percent higher class sizes than the rest of the country does. And you think about what that is. That's not just a learning condition that makes it extremely difficult for kids to learn in because they're just one of 36 kids with one teacher. It's an extremely challenging working condition, right? Because why do teachers get into the profession to connect with their students? Mm -hmm. When I, if I'm, if I have 30, if I'm in elementary school and I have 36, 38 kids in my class, it's extremely hard for me to build those personal relationships. I'm bare every day. I'm just barely getting by. So the one thing that was keeping me in the profession, because it sure as hell isn't the money or the public prestige yeah. or the respect that you get. The yeah. only thing that's keeping us in this profession is that connection with the kids. Well, now all of a sudden, standardized testing, all these uh, you know ridiculous teacher evaluations that have nothing to do with our actual impact on students. And then these insane class sizes, I spend more time as a teacher doing stuff that has nothing to do with actually connecting and instructing kids. And especially when you have one or two children that are a little problematic, it takes away from everybody else. And if one or two could change the whole dynamic in the classroom. A hundred percent. If you think about a kid, like you have 36 kids, you know, at the school like that I work at, you might go into a fifth grade class and you'll have kids reading anywhere from a second grade reading level to a seventh grade reading level, right? And you're, you're, as a teacher, supposed to individualize your instruction to target all of these various learners, right? Right there, right off the bat, without the proper resources in a classroom of that size, you know that, you know, you can try everything you can. And that's what teachers do is they burn themselves out trying and trying and trying to do everything they can for their students. And eventually, teachers quit. And it's, yeah. it's there's nothing keeping them in. So in Nevada... We have one of the highest teacher turnover rates in the entire country. So just on average, every teacher you see won't make it past their fifth year teaching. Okay? A third of every teacher won't make it past their third year teaching. So think about what that does, though, because as a teacher, ask any teacher, like, when do you start to find your groove? You find your groove right around that fourth, fifth, sixth year teaching. That's when you really, and that's with any exactly. profession, right? Any profession, you start to become highly effective in that years where, you know, at the beginning, a first, second year teacher, you, I mean, you're trying, but you're probably not that great of a teacher because it's your first or second year doing it, but you're trying. And then you get to the point. So all of a sudden we're getting to the point where teachers are starting to find their groove and, and, and be able to really impact and they're quitting. 
And so what ends up happening is we have a larger, larger sample size of our teachers with less and less experience because we're just cycling new people in. Who, who can be a teacher? You got a, you got a degree? You, you, you haven't worked with kids one day in your life. Come on but in. You got a degree? Come on in. Exactly. On in. Just, hey, and you know what? Not only are we going to give you a classroom full of t kids right now to teach, okay? Well, then we'll teach you as you go. So you're like responsible for your kids, like your kids. You could have a you could have a, a teacher in there who's never ever had any experience teaching, not a single minute, and that is that's your teacher, that's your kid's teacher, and it's because we can't attract and retain quality teachers. Nobody wants to be a teacher, and so I love getting in arguments about like teaching with people, right? Because they'll go, "You guys got benefits." You got retirement, you got your summers off, you got holidays, like what's the big deal? And here's the thing is I could go through each of those points and, and pick them apart easily with facts and how they aren't relevant. But what we have to look at is just the statistics. Why is it that we have such a teacher shortage across the country? This isn't just Nevada, it's just exacerbated in yeah. Nevada. If it's and such an easy job that's so appealing, why is everyone fucking to it? Exactly. Yes. You're telling me that people that are listening to this right now absolutely love their jobs? No, there's probably people listening that are like, man, I don't really like my job. Okay, then come be a teacher. If it's so great and it's so easy and you get all these benefits, then come do it. But there's a reason why they don't because that's not the case. That's not the reality. And anybody who teaches or anybody who knows a teacher or is, you know, their spouse is a teacher understands the reality behind teaching. It's extremely challenging. It's stressful. We do it because we love our students and we're losing a war right now, fellas, on on at public education, especially here in Nevada, because we're losing more and more teachers every year. Teachers are retiring at a higher rate. They're quitting at a higher rate. Our population is continuing to grow. So it's not right. as if we have less students that we need to service. We have more students that we need to service with less and less teachers. And so the solution by politicians is make it easier to be a teacher. Don't let's not actually address the issue of why it is that teachers don't want to teach. Let's not fix the problem. Right. Let's not let's not really examine that. No. You know what? Let's just make it easier to be a teacher. And if they continue with that mindset, we just become we end up losing a lot of families to the private and charter schools. And you can't blame them. Because you're looking at Washoe County and you're like, what? Clark County? You're like, I'm not sending my kid to this school. He's got 45 kids in his classroom. Like this, I'm not, if you have the resources as a parent, you're going to do everything you can to make sure your children get the education they deserve. But every family that we lose from public education is one less family that's invested in this system. One less voting family, one less family that will look at revenue to fund it. And so a fear of mine and a lot of people's is eventually public education becomes basically a housing for a certain demographic of people in our community, right? I'm and glad I'm glad you did that because, I mean, some people accuse them of doing that on purpose. Like, if you look at what the Trump administration is doing with education, you can say that it's a byproduct. You know, that's what they want it to happen because... If you're wealthy, it's just like everything else in this country. The better off you're wealthy, you don't have to subject your kids to this. 
but it's going to be the poorest and the ones who have least access to resources that are going to have to rely on public education. And those are the people that have, as we've seen, they don't have a voice in decision making. They don't have a voice in policy making. So I think it just becomes easier and easier to ignore them. And that's what's happened. I think if you look at the education system, the people making decisions about it don't rely upon it. So they don't, they're not invested in its success. Exactly. 100%. 100%. And that is, and you know, and, and it's not, and it's almost, you know, people like, oh, conspiracy theory. It's happening. It's happening right in front of you right now, right? Because if it was a priority, like, you know, they talk about, you know, in the importance of schools and mental health and the, the importance of schools in, in terms of providing nutrition. And they say about all these things that schools provide, except for education. Right. Like education is the last thing we think of. But why is it that schools are require are expected to provide all of these services? It's because we're not addressing these systematic issues in our government and in our society. We're pushing it off. And then, like you said, the more that we do that, people can that have resources pull their kids out. The people that are left in this system don't have a voice the same. They don't have the resources. They don't have the platform. And it's just like you said, it's a lot easier to ignore it and kind of just push it to the side because it's not directly impacting them. No, and it's crazy to me that people, the average family thinks education is so important, but every year they keep cutting it and cutting it and cutting it. And it's just like, if we think it's so important, why are we taking less money and giving money to like the police department or military and things like that? Oh, 100%. Yeah. If you look at that, like specifically here in Nevada, how do you, how did you feel about uh, the special, the leg, like, let's talk more about the legislative session, sure, the special sure. session, and uh, what you guys were fighting for to try and protect, you know, then and during this the session that's going on now. Yeah, so you know, we came into the first one, and I'll be, I know I'll be honest, it was disappointing just in terms of the outcome. We really advocated and rallied um, educators to making their voices heard to politicians, and so we left there a bit deflated. But when they opened up the next special session. Um, it was obvious that our voices were making an impact because for the first time we have not one, but three different initiatives that are being brought to the table to raise mining tax and mining tax is old money in Nevada, right? Like, you know, it has, it's, it's written into the constitution. That's how right, it works. Right. I mean, they, you know, those guys protected that thing, like no, no other. Right. Mm -hmm. And so now we actually have three different bills um that uh, are initiatives and because it's in the constitution it's more of a long-term impact because if it gets passed now it would have to go to the next session and be voted on again for it to change um so that was good and then we really went after the liability bill so sb4 or yeah was, yeah um, yeah sb4 before and that wasn't just about teachers as much that's just workers right and so you know the end sending teachers back into condition sending workers back into condition without having any sort of liability protection um, we felt was unacceptable if you're telling us it's safe to go back and we got to go then what why need a why need a liability bill right 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 we're able to you know we we turned out thousands and thousands of emails and you know public comments we had educators waiting up until three o'clock in the morning to make public comment because you know politicians they really love when you get engaged so what they do <laughs> is they hold their goddamn session they started at 11 o'clock at night and do public comment at three in the morning and most people by then are like okay i'm good you know it's just a tactic 
to dissuade um, the, public the average person. From, yeah, the public yeah. from being engaged, right? Just like when they have city council me meetings through nine to five when yeah. everybody's working. Yeah, 10, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning on a Wednesday. And nobody sure. can go because everyone needs a nine to five. Yeah, and they used to even do school board meetings. Um, they would start school board meetings while we were still in school. Now they've switched that, but for for years, and people were like, "Well, how are we supposed to make our voices heard when you when we're working?" So, we luckily we got with that, but you know we're nowhere near. I mean, we at with Empower Nevada teachers, our whole focus has been on mobilizing educators, and we're doing it. We're seeing, you know, we're seeing people speaking out and showing up in ways that we haven't seen in years, really ever, because all of a sudden you have a group that isn't you know, that isn't directly connected with the school district. And that's what makes it very difficult um, in terms of teacher activism is we don't have a, a, a real union, right? Like we, you know, we have associations, but those associations have contracts with the, the school district. So, you know, in my opinion, and most people who are activisms in terms of getting their profession to be mobilized, the, the most the most powerful tool that any union or association has is their ability to withhold their services, right? To say, right. you know what? Like if 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 you guys aren't gonna do the right thing that you're supposed to be doing, what we what we elected you for, well then we're gonna force that issue by collectively organizing and telling you that if, if, if things don't change then you know we're gonna withhold our services. But it makes it very difficult because of the way the unions and the, the connection with the district, they're not able to do that, right? And so we are, we're a group that's all about um, just grassroots. Like if you're a teacher, you need to show up, right? We're putting on, we're putting on events and rallies and protests and we're calling, we're making sure that the school districts are being held accountable for the things that they say. And we're going full on in this next legislative session to mobilize educators from across the state to really start to put themselves in a, in a position that they can um, collectively organize, right? And use collective action the way that it's supposed to be because the teachers are just getting trampled on and education is getting trampled on, our students are, and it's not gonna change. You know, I don't see, you know, culturally within Nevada, education just isn't a priority. It just hasn't been, you know? And it never has been, yeah. It never yeah, has been, true. you know? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have some I have some reasons, you know, some hypotheses for why that is, um, but it is right. And so, you know, looking at, OK, we you know, this next this this is going to be the time that they actually do it right. You know, and our whole thing is we should be funded at the national average or better. That to us is, you know, that's reasonable. Why is that? Why why don't this, the kids in our community and the educators in our community deserve the type of resources and funding on average at the rest? We're not asking to be number one or number two. We just don't want to be 48th and 49th and 50th. You just want like, to be on par. Yeah, let's just be on par. Let's be on average with the rest of the state. And then let's see what that can do in terms of actually improving our public education system. Now then let's 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 adequately fund it. Right, because it's it's a system like any other system. If you don't adequately fund a system, it crumbles. Right? If, yeah. If you don't, if, you know, if you don't, if you don't provide it with resources, it will crumble, and that's exactly what's happening. And COVID is shining a huge light 
on the inadequacies and insufficiencies of our public school system right now. And um, I mean, part of why this big fight about being able to reopen, the reason we can't reopen is not just because of the rates that are that we're seeing with uh, infection. The reason is because we have the largest class sizes in the country. We don't have the personnel to staff these kids socially distanced. We don't have the infrastructure. We don't have the schools or the housing. We don't have any of the resources to be able to open up safely and follow the state's own guidelines. Like right, the right, saying, right. The state's saying, hey, we need you to do A, B, C, D, E, and F. But we're not going to provide you with the funding and resources to do it. We're going to cut your funding and still expect you to do it. And we're already underfunded, drastically underfunded. And then we're going to say, you know what? You don't need this hundred million dollars. We're good. It's a debt, and we get it. There's a debt, like there's a there is a statewide deficit, and education needs to get funded. But the it, it, to me, it was unacceptable that we would cut without providing any possible new revenue streams. Right. To make up for it, yeah. Yeah, to make up for it. So, you know, yeah, we're just got to keep on uh, getting educators active, right? So, uh, how do you feel uh, Washoe County handled distance education last spring? So that's the tough part about that is because, you know, when you look at what the spring was supposed to be, nobody knew it was going to go all spring, right? At first, it was supposed to just be a week or two. So then it was like, okay, guys, let's just get through this, you know, pandemic. It's going to be short lived. And people were so freaked out. The district came in and just said, you know what, we need to make sure that students are safe. We, let's not overload families right now because most of them aren't used to doing any sort of homeschooling. Just just keep it very basic, very simple, review work. Um, and then that ended up, you know, continuing on because, you know, no one saw this pandemic at that time go, becoming what it is now. And so the, 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 the quality of education that the students were getting in the spring was nowhere near adequate, nowhere near. But that wasn't a fault of the teacher. That was right. the teacher. That was a circumstance. Yeah, it was a circumstance. And there and and us being told, I mean, we were told very clearly. Um, we yeah, we were told very clearly there is, you know, that we do not want you to introduce any new um any new curriculum. No no new content. Because again, students are at home with their families, like it's difficult to do the digital instruction, just give them review work. And so a lot of parents in the community were really upset about the way distance learning. So when they hear, okay, distance learning, um, all of a sudden they're like, well, it was trashed in the springtime. That's not acceptable. And right. you know, you, you're comparing apples to oranges. It's nothing at all what it would be like if we were to go in the spring. So, I mean, I mean, obviously that was a mistake by the district. How do you think it could be improved if we had to go do that this semester? That's the thing, though, if we if we had said, you know what, you know, because of transmission rates and because we don't have the, the resources and funding to open up schools safely and we're going to go going to go distance learning, then teachers can prepare for that. Right. We can make sure that we're setting up all of the procedures and systems within our classroom so that we can administer effective digital instruction. It's going on right now. There's people that learn online all the time, right? Like exactly. Is, yeah. We're not, we're not making shit up right now. All kinds of colleges are doing it. Yeah. Like we're not making this up all of a sudden. This isn't something that's brand new. There's people that are doing this right now. 
is there a huge learning curve for a teacher? Absolutely, right? Because the teacher, and that's what people don't understand in the community and gets me so heated, is people act like they want to do distance learning to stay at home and just kick it. It's such bullshit. It's way harder. It's way harder. Way harder. Like, was... so much harder. It's not, even, it's not even funny. Like, it is so much harder for a teacher to do distance learning effectively than to be in their own classroom with their kids. It's more work. So for, for everybody being like, oh, these lazy teachers, just get back to work. It's like, dude, we want to go back to work, dumbass. Like, like what are you talking about? <laughs> of course we want to go back to work. It's just yeah. we don't have the resources to do it. Like, it is such a cluster right now trying to reopen these schools because we don't have the personnel. Mm -hmm. So, for example, my wife has about, I think she this year has like 34 kids in her class. She's fifth grade. Per the state's guidelines, she can only have 20 kids in her classroom, right? So that's 14 kids who can't be in her classroom at this, during that time. So where do they go? Okay, well, they're going to go into the cafeteria. Who's going to teach them? We don't know. We're going to get a right. long-term sub. What long-term sub? Like, who, who, like, we can't even get subs day-to-day. -day. Like, it's one of the most – like, we have just this drastic sub shortage. There's no long-term subs knocking down the door to make 90 bucks a day. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, man. And now what they're doing <laughs> is they're saying you don't even – to be a sub, you used to have to have a college degree and education credits, right? Because they – it would make sense that you would want a long-term sub to actually know something about teaching, right? And they like, wanted to be a teacher later on. Yeah, like, or just have any experience with kids, right? That would make sense. Yeah. Because you gotta think what a long-term sub is. A long-term sub is not just, oh, you know, Miss So and So is out on Fridays, party time. We got a sub. That's your teacher for the rest of the year, bud. Like a long-term <laughs> sub. I started you know? my career as a long-term sub for three months in a high school classroom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I got hired and like continued on as a teacher. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So it's like, it, you know, it, a long-term sub. Well, now they're saying just because we don't, they, the district, we don't have any space. We don't have any um, people to fill these spots. We don't have the teachers, right? We already have a teacher shortage. And now we need additional personnel to be able to watch these other kids while they're in the cafeteria. And we're going to fill it with long-term subs, but we don't have any long-term subs. And so now they're just saying, you know what? You don't even need a college degree. If you have a high school diploma, you can come be a sub, a long-term sub. And I'm not trying to say anything about, you know, a person's ability based on being college educated. You could, you could not be college educated and be highly qualified at what you do, right? And highly effective at what you do. But to, to dumb down teaching as much as anybody can do it. Just if you're just a, a human being. Yeah, it's devaluing the profession. Yeah, once exactly. again, that that's what they're doing, devaluing everything. They're like, okay, high school diploma, cool. You could be a, you know, those babysitter, you know, quote unquote. Yeah, exactly. And that's what they're doing. They just want somebody in the room. And here's the thing that makes so frustrating about this is it's not that the district wants to do this, right? Like, I don't look at the district and be like, oh, man, Washington County School District, they just don't give a shit. They don't have it's it's like they're like, bro, I don't we don't have the funding. It's the only way they could do it. Like they're just yeah. following the yeah. directives of the school board or the state. Yeah. And so, you yeah. know, they look at it like they did a hiring freeze. They didn't hire any new teachers. And people are like, why did you do a hiring freeze if we need all these teachers? 
we don't have the money we don't mm-hmm. we can't pay the new teachers it's just like you're being like handcuffed a little bit like you're trying your best with the resources you have and when you don't have any resources like what else are you going to go to exactly and that's why a lot of, and that's why myself personally my position on opening schools is much more centered on the fact of we don't have the resources to do this effectively right we just we mm-hmm. just can't we cannot socially my school, <laughs> my school only has four general ed teachers one great subject our math teacher left we don't have a new math <laughs> and, like we have teachers, <laughs> we have we have teachers that we have schools that don't have counselors we have positions that aren't filled we have teachers so the kids are due back in a week right they're coming back mm-hmm. i have four teachers at my school that don't even know what grade they're teaching and it's again it's not when i'm looking at the district i don't see this as i mean yes i can argue whether they should have reopened schools or not where i get upset at the school board and the district is why is it, why are they not publicly holding government officials accountable for this right why exactly. are they using their platform to say we can't open schools because you've been defunding public education for decades right why is it that no one's saying anything and it's because it's all politics right it's it all comes down to politics right the you know the voter people you know the school board is more concerned about being uh voted back or um, re-elected and then you have political pressure being put on school districts right you have and so it just trickles down and so they're being forced to do open up schools they're trying the best they can but they don't have the funding and resources so we're putting that burden onto the site principals those principals are trying to do everything they can to make it work but they're just it's just not possible given the resources and then ultimately what happens is that burden gets placed down onto the teachers and so, so yeah so yesterday you know the rgj ran this article talking about how principal the principals association recommended that schools were not ready to open and then the the school district made the statement about how they wondered why principals had waited so long that this is the first they've heard how did you how did you feel about the way that whole thing went down i don't understand how they could be surprised when the administrators union said that we recommend pro like delaying in-person instruction all three unions weeks that, ago weeks ago yeah, they said that. Like weeks ago and Teachers, scientists have been saying it too yeah so you had you had the local health officials you had the teachers union you had the administrators union and the paraprofessionals union all come out and say we should not be opening schools right now in person and then they voted to reopen schools and then they're like, well, why is everybody so like, why are teachers and administrators so upset that we're reopening schools? And it's because it's really, it's really disheartening to see so many amazing principals in our district be just, just burdened with all this because they're, you know, they're saying this is what you have to do. And they're not listening to their employees. Their employees are telling them we can't make this work. I know you guys really, really want to reopen schools. We get it. You understand people need to get back to work. The kids have been away for a long time. We have at-risk populations that best, like the school I go to, we have, I work with students all the time that the absolute best place for them to be is in our Yeah, 100%. So, but don't tell me that. Don't, don't, don't try to guilt trip me into being like, oh, the kids, oh, the kids, like no shit. We've been the ones 
yelling, oh, the kids. Like, we need help. We've been telling you, these kids need help. Like, there is issues. Instead of, instead of being there and trying to advocate for us then, now you're trying to use it as, well, we need to reopen schools because of the mental health of, of, the, of the students. And what we're saying- That made me so mad. That I, I worked at, I worked at trainer, I worked at Title I schools for 13 years. And that made me so angry as someone who's been SEL lead for many years and been ignored. There's no support Nothing. from the, the district, no man. Like, that was the thing that made me the maddest was that they kind of used this excuse of, of students' mental health where no, no other decision they've ever made has reflected that, ever, whether it's standardized yes. testing, any other, any other decisions. So I was just, how did you, I was livid when I heard that. Yeah, 100%. And it's like, okay, let's say the mental health, obviously, it's a huge, it's a huge deal, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Why is it that every school doesn't have a social worker at it? Exactly. Why is it that every school doesn't have a behavioral specialist? Why is it that we have counselors in this district that have over 700 students on their caseload? If, if, if the mental health, like, if you're a counselor, you are a college-educated professional who spends 90% of your time scheduling high school students, right? right? Like, I'm a, I'm, I'm a college-educated scheduler. That's what I do because I have 700 kids on my caseload, 700 kids who have – many of them have severe mental health issues or suicidal, like, issues that they need to deal with. But when you have over 700 kids on your caseload – what are you expected to do? It's so hard. Yeah. Even if you have 350, it's too yeah. much. Yeah, it's, it's hard bullshit. for that one-on-one -on -one focus that every like those kids need and deserve. And so just don't, it's bullshit. Don't tell me this is about their mental health, right? Don't, don't tell me that, okay? Because if it was about their mental health, we wouldn't have been neglecting the resources. You know, Nevada has the worst mental health ratings in the country. So don't tell me that it's about mental health when we're not addressing mental health. The, the reason you're reopening schools is because of political and social pressure, right? Mm -hmm. That's why you're reopening schools for the most part. Is, is part of it? Sure. But for the most part, it's because you have parents calling you, pa parents who have resources and who have the money to call you because guaranteed the, 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 you know, let's be honest about which types of right. families are calling exactly. the school district. Right? Exactly. You're not having, you know, a lot of our, you know, Latinx families and some of our lower socioeconomic families that are speaking out and because they don't quite have that connection with the school district, they don't have the experience reaching out to um, people in power. There's a there's a certain you know subset that are putting a ton of pressure on the school board to vote, and then you have a lot of political pressure all the way from the governor on down that's putting pressure on districts to reopen. So you know like just like you said, you know other decisions weren't you know we don't use mental health as a, as the reasoning for why we make other decisions but now all of a sudden it's an issue for everybody it's just an and easy it's an easy pivot for them to take the blame off like their lack of resources that they're helping and it's easy mm -hmm. to put it on like oh mental health it's an easy pivot yeah and of course like i said i work my whole professional career has been working with underprivileged youth i understand and we understand as teachers more than you know, anybody, anybody in the public who's saying, oh, the kids, oh, the kids, we know, okay? That's what we've been screaming about for years is, oh, these kids. And nobody's been listening. No one's listening to us. And all of a sudden now, 
oh shit, we better listen because it's impacting their ability to go to work. So now all of a sudden it's a big deal, right? And so that's the frustrating piece is, you know, the, the you know, RGJ or news channel will, will have a story and then it'll be about us wanting to postpone distance learning and then all of us or uh, postpone in-person learning and then the comment thread. And it's just people ripping teachers, right? Just, oh, you know, lazy and fire them all and all this shit. All that anger and frustration that you're feeling right now, where the fuck was it when they've been defunding our public education system, right? Where, why were you, like, where was all of this emotion and passion and anger? And the thing is, it's directed at the wrong place. You're directing it. <laughs> That's American as, as, as apple pie. Yes. Yeah, right. You're, yeah, you're, you're mad at us. Because we're just we're the 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 thing the te- you know the the educators are the only thing that's holding this system together anyways. But you're mad at us because schools can't reopen. Are you serious? <laughs> like I just I don't I can't you know. So we try not to get too wrapped up in all of that stuff because at the end of the day, you know, educators understand the impact that they have. So we really got to mm-hmm. make sure that their voices are being heard. And we can't continue to just kick the can down the road for funding, man. Like it's, it's just far, it's gone on for far too long that our mm. students don't get what they deserve. And the problem, yeah. And like educators need the proper tools to help educate your children. Yeah. And like, just like any profession. Yeah. Right? And when they cut millions of dollars, but they also give those same millions of dollars to like the police to like an other thing that, you know, doesn't need that money necessarily than educating the youth. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, so, go ahead, Sean. Yeah, go ahead. Um, what are your thoughts on the school board and their effectiveness after the last few months? Man, Sean, you're asking me good questions. These are going to get me... Uh, I already got enough heat on me, okay? Just, <laughs> I'm very active. No, because here's the thing. Jumps. my little guy guy just came in come in hey what's up (laughs) just run it's okay i'll be back (laughs) just run around his birthday suit like hey what are you doing um it's hot uh, it's hot birthday suits are the best suit right now oh of course of course you know it's it's really it was upsetting to see, you know, we've worked really hard as Empower Nevada teachers. We've really been advocating the school board to speak up, right? You know, and for some reason, our school board individually, I think they forget that they are elected officials, that they aren't beholden to the school district. They're beholden to their voters, right? And so when you're looking and many of those voters being teachers in their families or supporters of teachers. Um, and so when you look at them making these decisions and their, the reasoning for why they're trying to open up schools, but they are completely ignoring the, um, the science, you know, the, the, the science professionals that are coming, the epidemiologists who are coming in and saying that it's not safe, that you're going to you're going to have an outbreak if you if you open up schools. And then the educators. Right. You have educators who are coming out and saying, you know, that it's not safe right now because of the lack of funding and resources. Right. Because here's the thing. If we had on average lower class sizes like the rest of the country and we had additional personnel 
and we had the space, well, then we could space these kids out yeah. for sure. We could provide proper PPEs. We could update ventilation systems inside the school to make sure that the air conditioning systems are ventilating the air. You know, we can make sure, again, that all, all employees um, and students have the proper PPEs. We could hire additional custodial staff to come through and constantly Clean. be disinfecting the entire school. We could space these kids out. We could provide those kids overflow in the cafeteria and other areas with an actual teacher so that the the learning that is occurring during those times that they're not in the classroom is up to par we could do this that's the thing is we could we could open up schools in my opinion i mean some people say you know what no matter what you couldn't but i think given that it's we un understanding that people do need to go back to work that child care is an issue but we go back to that right like why the hell is child care such an issue in this country right why is it that you know like we could go down that rabbit hole uh, <laughs> the fact of like you know yeah. what we don't have government systems in place right like like don't take it out on the school systems because employers aren't able to provide these sort of benefits for their for their employees but again we could do these things but you're asking an already broken system that was crippled in this by these budget cuts mm -hmm. to now go and do more with even less. Because that's what you're asking. You're mm -hmm. asking educators to figure out, hey, I need you to do what you've always done, but do it under these circumstances. And less tools. And less tools and less resources mm -hmm. and make it good. And you're like, yeah. come on, guys. Like, and, it doesn't make any sense. And I think a lot of the bottom line is there's not enough tools like you said there's not enough space um there's not enough teachers there's not enough classroom like to spread out all these kids and kids are overcrowded the thing is tools and money and yeah. those are the things right. that are needed and you guys get cut every year no matter what and the problem with the system that's overburdened that you keep adding more to is eventually it collapses it collapses mm -hmm. and that's what we're seeing like and i'm not even saying that to be dramatic like if you were in the inner workings right now at a school and you're hearing the stories that are going on, you are seeing a school system implode on itself, mm -hmm. right? Exactly. I don't even know if we're going to be able to honestly get to opening up. Like, like you know, I, just because it is so... You're, again, you're just trying to do so much, like you said, adding more and more to an already burdened system. You're, you're watching it right now crumble. And so to me, at least to be more of the optimist is I look at, I mean, COVID is a huge barrier. Absolutely. But COVID is also an opportunity, right? Like if we look at this and we see what we're prioritizing as a community, what are the things that we prioritize, right? It wasn't nuclear bombs that brought us to our knees, right? It wasn't, it wasn't this foreign powers army. Right. It was understanding that we, our healthcare system wasn't up to par. Right. And then all of a sudden right. it is shining a light on the fact that, man, uh, child care issues are, are, are huge issues. Employee rights are huge issues. Education is a huge issue right now. That is like these systems are failing. So why don't we start reprioritizing um, what we know is important, what is going to support us? And we can start at a local level, right? We can start with Nevada. Nevada can say, you know what, we're actually going to prioritize education, right? And we're going to make sure that they have the, the needed funding and resources to do so. And then from there, we, we work outwards, right? And that's how, I mean, personally, I feel like, edu and that's why I'm so passionate about it is because it directly impacts so many other facets of our society. 
right? If we look at, you know, with the big push with, um, you know, the funding towards police, well, education has a scientific direct correlation yes, to exactly. crime rates in the community. Mm-hmm. So if so, if the point of, uh, of the police is to keep crime rates down, why wouldn't we invest in something to that prevent. is proven mm-hmm. to lower crime rates? Exactly. But we don't invest in education, right? So we look at being able to uh, have, you know, more of, um, you know, a better economy, right? Education in a community has a direct scientific correlation <laughs> to the people in that community's um, economic impacts, right? Education impacts these. The better the education system, the more money people make, the higher your property rate. Like, it, it, I mean, it, this isn't rocket science, it's right? A direct like, in Nevada, Nevada is a perfect example of that because they did invest in education with the Millennium Scholarship 20 years ago. And what you like the growth the state has seen is a direct result of that. Instead of having all these students go away, so many students stayed here, mm-hmm. went to school in, in Reno in Las Vegas, mm-hmm. and then stayed in these communities and have helped revitalize Reno and Las Vegas and Nevada as a whole the last twenty years. So they have an example already of what investing in your own can do for the for your state. Mm-hmm. And for some reason people just seem blind to the fact that like, what's the saying? An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Yeah. Like, invest in education, and it solves all these other problems that manifest themselves down the way. I feel like a lot of people don't understand about investing in yourself, or like investing in the state, and the kids in the state, and other outside sources are affecting that. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And that's why it's important that we use the terminology "invest," right? Like, you're not funding education; you're investing in education. Mm-hmm. investing in education invest in your community and it's you know are there issues with traditional public education yeah and i could talk mm-hmm. about that for hours right i'm not sitting here saying to you or saying to anybody that you know that there aren't faults within public education and things that we can improve on but you know I, i'm speaking on behalf of nevada and when i look in nevada and i look at us year after year after year 50th, 49, 50th, 49, 48th, in, in terms of our academic output, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in any any objective metrics, when you have third parties coming in and evaluating the effectiveness of a state's education system, we are always, like, at the very end. Almost the end, yeah. Almost. I mean, if not the 50th, right? Yeah. And, um, and it's, but it's never been something, too, that they've really looked at and said, well, how is it, how do we not see that being 47th in per pupil spending and 48th in academic output, like how can they not see that correlation there, right? So there's a there's a lot of work, but you know, Nevada's prime for it. You know, we're ready. This community is ready. You know, it's not, it's not the same as it has been in terms of teachers getting active. Um, the advocacy piece we saw across the country since 2008, this huge red for red movement low across the country you had collective action in over a dozen states with teachers, you know, flooding legislative buildings, flooding the streets. Um, te- you know, we just last year had the Chicago Teachers Union pull off the mm-hmm. largest mm-hmm. educator strike in the country. And this this union is an absolute powerhouse, right? 
And it's because their members are extremely active. And Chicago has one, I mean, might not, people might not know, it has one of the best education systems, like in terms of how they rank. So there is, you know, there, we, need, we need activism. We, we need educators to come in and, and, and start to understand that nobody's gonna do this for us, right? Like we, we have to advocate for ourselves. No one's going to save us. They're not going to come in and all of a sudden decide that it's, a, you know, we've been doing it wrong for so long. And so we got to just make sure that we are not allowing them to ignore us anymore. Like right? yeah. for too long they have. Yeah, like we as a community have to take that step forward to yep. help us in general. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. no one else is going to help us. Speaking of change, uh, you know, we just got a new superintendent. Uh, Chris McNeil, um, how did you feel about the process and how do you feel about her as a superintendent moving forward? Well, you know, we came out and I came out personally in strong support of Dr. McNeil after we saw her as interim superintendent. You know, uh, coming off of uh, Tracy Davis and the culture and the climate surrounding, I mean, it was so toxic. It was, it was just something that you know, from, from the bottom down, you know, if you have leadership at the top that leads in a certain way, that makes its way down to the area superintendents, to the principals, and then the principals end up kind of manifesting that with teachers. And we came out and, and just seeing how she performed as interim, um, I was extremely uh, pleased with that and supported that she was local. Um, you know, I'm having troubles right now, simply in the sense of I don't blame her or the districts, but they're complicit because I don't hear anybody holding those accountable or those um, who are in power that are making these decisions accountable for it. You know, and now all the blame is being put on our district when it shouldn't be even, even again, like, you know, arguing reopening or not, you know, like you can argue both sides of this, this argument, but what you can't argue is that we don't have the resources and the funding. And what I want from a leader, what I want from school board or as, and I understand in, that there's limitations, like in her official capacity as superintendent, right? She can only do and say so much. But right. As citizen, as an individual citizen in Nevada, you can do and say whatever you want, right? Well, I mean, to a degree. And she could, and, and what are we saying? What are we asking her to do? We're asking her and school board members to please use your platform to urge lawmakers to fund education. Who's going to get mad at that, right? Like who's like, I mean, if you're, if you have any sort of courage um, for what you're doing and belief in what you're doing, saying, please advocate the state. And that's our thing. The state is failing us. The state of Nevada is failing Washoe County. And it's making it that Washoe County is having to fail its educators. And so we're going straight to the cause. I'm not looking at the, and being like, oh, the district should do more. The district. Can the decisions that they're making, do I agree with all of them? No, I don't. But again, they're trying to do the best they can. And the vast majority of those that we look at as like the district people, right? Those, you know, the district devs, they're working their asses off. I mean, they've been working their right. asses all summer long trying to do the very best that they can i would assume that dr mcneil has had 
um, too many sleepless nights over this summer, right? Like she's a human being. Like I have empathy for the position that she's in. I have empathy for the position that all of them are in, right? Um, and I understand that it's an extremely tough decision. So what we have to look at is, are we making the decisions based on what we think is right? Or are we allowing social and political pressure to dictate our actions? And if that's the case, then I don't agree with those decisions. Yes. Right? Well, that's not what a leader is supposed to do. Yeah, a leader is supposed to They're be, elected to be leaders. Yeah, to be courageous and do the things that needs to be done for the people that they're leading. And it's and, hard. Yeah, and it, it's, it's hard, hard because yeah. there is a balance with politics and there's a balance of like, you know, but at the end of the day, you want a person that's going to be courageous and to do the right thing for their delegates and things like that. Do and even popular thing, right? Like you, your decision a lot of times is going to be unpopular, mm -hmm. right? Because, you know, we have school board members that are asking their Facebook friends whether or not we should open school. Yeah. Like, no offense, the general public is not qualified to decide whether or not schools open. I don't come into another yeah. person's yeah. profession and tell the hospitals how they should be functioning, mm -hmm. right? I don't go into, I, like, because I'm not qualified to speak on that. Who's qualified to speak on that are the employees within that profession, within that industry. Yeah. And the employees yeah. are telling you, this is not going to work. It is not safe. It is not effective. But instead, we're going to ask our Facebook friends and say, hey, what do you think about schools reopening? And of course they're in there like, we got to open them up and mm -hmm. the kids got to go back to school. You have no idea what you're sending your kid back to. Okay? And like, right. No idea yeah. what you're sending your kid And like back I say to. all the time, the average person is an idiot because they're not well-educated. So to ask the average person out there in the internet is even worse. Yeah. That they're not educated enough to make it. Like they don't do polls on like, what's the most, what do you think doctors should do to, to treat COVID patients? Exactly. Yeah. No. And the average person is an idiot, and this is what like, gets me so upset because once our education is very low, so they're asking a person with very low education how to do a morally right thing. Mm -hmm. And I think of it as if I'm going to speak on behalf of something, I'm not just speaking because I want to hear myself talk. Yeah. I, I feel like I have an like I have an opinion based on experience, right? Like I'm not going to engage in a debate for the sake of it. So just it just seems like if, if even being an elected official, it's your job to make decisions, like you said, morally sound decisions based on the information, you know. Yes. So there's one yes. of two things are happening, right? One of two things. Either the people on the board don't actually understand how under-resourced our school system is, mm -hmm. right? And they're making that decision because they're uninformed. Mm -hmm. Or they're making that decision knowing that we don't have the resources to pull this off. And they're doing it anyways because of the social pressure. Either one of them is completely unacceptable. Yes. Because if you're It's a probably school a little board, bit of A and a little yeah, bit of B. Yeah, a little bit and of B, right? See, yeah, like it's everything. Yeah. But how can you be a school board member and not understand the realities of what's going on in the classroom? Like, and how do you find that out? You talk to people who are in the classroom. Like, educate yourself in the area based on not like what your Facebook friends think or say, go and talk to educators. But like Just people that are them. actually in the field who got in their the who got their boots in the soil where it's going down. Exactly. Boots I was trying down. to explain that to my parents. My parents, you know, they, they called in my for the other night. Uh, they live in New York and they're like, what is going on there? Like how, 
they didn't understand how the school board's making this decision. And I'm trying to explain to them that, you know, these people aren't necessarily versed in the inner workings of education. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're going to say hi. She's joining us. This is my daughter, Kai Kai. Hola. Hi. Hi. Hey. <laughs> will, you go, will you go find mommy, though? Okay. I'm not going here. I know you do, but we got, I'm almost finished, okay? Mm-hmm. And then we're going to go. We're going to go to Alicia's, okay? go ahead yeah they're not exactly you got people making decisions um who aren't necessarily familiar with education mm-hmm. it's crazy it's just but it's like a it's like someone who wants to like fix a computer that doesn't have any like computer engineering skills you know or knowledge like yeah. how how do you know how to fix something when you have no background in it? Mm-hmm. Well, that's just the problem in general with education. Yeah, everyone is an expert on it, even though they have no idea how it actually goes on and how it works. Yeah, they're just they're just a parent that works at McDonald's, you know. Well, and just you have policy, you have you know lawmakers making policy decisions that directly in fact impact the classroom who have never been in the classroom. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like if you haven't really been in the classroom, then you're not qualified to necessarily make um, decisions that would affect it. And so, you know, yeah, you know, and, and, and it's not to say that there aren't areas within the school board, you know, A, we need to get, make sure that more, but you can't have active teachers on the school board, right? There's a conflict of interest if you're on the board and you're a teacher because you're making decisions that directly affect you, yes. right? So there's yeah, that yeah. conflict of interest. But having educators in those positions, but there is, you know, the, the school system in many ways is a business. So it doesn't mean that I want all educators on the school board because I want people who know how to work budgets. I know I want people yeah. that know how to stretch a dollar and, and utilize every resource we have and how do we put the different systems. Like there's, there's room for everybody, but it seems like we continue to ignore the voices of educators. And that's really where ENT has tried to, to help amplify the voices of just everyday teachers, right? It doesn't matter where you're at, rural, urban, um, if you're in the north or south. I mean, we started here, so we're, we have more members, but we have members in Vegas that are on the platform. We have all the rural districts accounted for, and we're really starting to come because there's a unified message, Republican, Democrat, independent, rural, urban, north, south, all of us understand as educators that education in Nevada is not adequately resourced and funded. So that's a mission that we can all get behind, right? So we can go tackle specific bill initiatives to fund education without necessarily getting into, okay, which candidate are we going to vote for? Because I'm sorry, I'm a Democrat, but I am extremely upset with my Democrats that I voted for in education terms. Uh, right. And, like, I, they're, not, they're, not, they're not representing me. Right now. So at this point, I'm looking for somebody who's going to represent me. And then it got to the point, well, why don't we just represent ourselves? You know, like, like, why don't we put ourselves in a position where regardless of who's in power, they have to listen to us, yeah. even if they don't agree yeah. with us, they have to because we're such a powerhouse. We're so united. We're so active. We turn out, we vote, we show up when we're supposed to show up. And we can put ourselves in a position where if you think that you're going to be able to continue to disregard our students and our profession, then we're going to force that issue um, by collectively organizing. 
And so that's kind of that's the main main kind of gist of what ENT is all about. Thank you, uh, Kaylin, for uh, breaking down and again yes. for taking time to be with us. Mm -hmm. Of course, uh, it's fun. We'll take a short little break. They are song song of the week. Caesar, you got a song you want to share? Yeah, my my song of the week is "Lemon" by Conway the Machine, featuring Method Man. So you know it's gonna be heavy on the bars and the lyrics, especially when you know Conway is from Griselda, which is nothing but bars and bars, 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 bars. So, <laughs> so and like bars, lemon bars as well. But uh, listen, so, yeah. yeah, listen, <laughs> listen and enjoy. That's it. Salute. Position in the kitchen, I'm working. Whip it, bag a half and fifties, hit the strip and I serve it. If it's an issue, trust, I'm coming to get with you in person. With the extender throwing at you till I flip the suburban. All my business is flourish. I'm on my way to my yacht. I put a six on the dock like Julius Irving. Damn, I know my nigga sisters is hurting. He caught new case, but got his sentences concurrent. That ain't get him discouraged. Got another homie in prison for murder. He would let his gun clap and fire at any one that would try watching this baby mother's cry i got numb i can't lie his mama ain't shed a tear she know that coming with his life thought about it his kids was young when son got the time won't see his daughter graduate can't teach his son how to drive not to see where i get this ambition from and his drive the machine i'm iller than anyone that's alive look bought the pins truck and the maybach with no license straight from dealership not from the auction with the low prices a long way from selling white and running from the police you niggas know who flow nicest Raised the ball at coke prices Fronted the homie, caught a joint, he stopped answering Then my nigga since grammar school, I don't know how to handle it Flea said you leave them knots in your chest, they gon' turn to cancer In other words, he's saying don't let it slide, you gotta handle it Nigga, let me squeeze, let me squeeze Let me squeeze, let me squeeze Don't tell my nigga stay safe, tell him to stay dangerous Auntie hit that stem, almost fainted Fiends love me in every ghetto, nigga, I'm famous Had some young boys pull up, do you heinous? Let me squeeze, let me squeeze Let me squeeze, let me squeeze Component Noriega watching CNN Black whip, black tents, y'all ain't seeing that. It's kind of mess, spread the word, boy, you're seeing them. No seeing them, these rappers in the scope, you're never seeing them. Killer bees back in the building with machine in them. We creaming them with pockets of dirty money, I'm clean again. Ain't got to tell you I'm dope, just stick the needle in. The goose is all quite big enough to fit the seagull in. Tis the seasoning, why ask why? I has my reasons and my birds don't need no seasoning. Methyl D in this evening. Now ask yourself, is that really air that you breathing in? I think outside the box that I find a box I can keep them in. Or just leave it then, like the bouncer won't let your people in. People said they want that old map, well this the prequel then. I get medieval, some people won't make the prequel then. Leave them in the fetal position, F it, I'm leaving then. I use the system, you cowards use euphemisms. Women call me super daddy, my powers is supervision. Who gave you permission to speak, to learn you listen, learn to listen to a different MC. 
Jersey. You learn the difference in addition if you're missing them. See, sign this petition, get a fraction of that faction subtracted by my division. Uh, uh, I'm a boss, so that means I make decisions. Slash villain, I will kill an MC to make a living. Yeah. Welcome back. That was Caesar's song of the week, Lemon by Conway the Machine, featuring Method Man. Method Man always comes in with the bars. Conway the Machine from Griselda. You know that New York flow, heavy on the bars. It always comes in hard body karate and makes me <laughs> pumped all the time. I know you love that stuff, Caesar. It's like that's listen- your that's I- no. It's like listening to Pusher T. Every time I have like an interview for a job or anything like that, I listen to some Pusher T to get me in that mindset. <laughs> That I'm gonna fucking take over this thing by myself. <laughs> Caitlin just starts laughing a little bit. But yeah, you know, you need that motivation. You gotta, you gotta get your pumps, bro. Dude, you need that motivation wherever it comes from, you know, and push a T, sure. aka, you know, with some that Griselda flow. That gets me into that mentality. And that's why I like Jay Z, Reasonable Doubt. It's like one of my favorite albums. Anytime. Well, if you're not a fan of Griselda, you gotta check it out. <laughs> yes. With Benny the Butcher, uh, West Side Gun, and Conway the Machine. Bop, 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 bop. <laughs> old, uh, if it comes to, like going to work out, like old school DMX always does that for me. Like I'll put on DMX radio mm-hmm. and just uh, that's just that's my uh, get kind of get high uh, sort of jams. And next so, thing you're out be- out benching the big boys. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. I've been listening to him a lot. Like I feel like I had, did listen to him forever, and then I've been listening to him lately. Like I forgot how many good songs he had. Oh, he's got slappers up and down. Like his old mm-hmm. albums, you know. Then there was X. Like all like that was. That just reminds me of just like high school and childhood. And, and he's that. very underrated lyrically because like they think, mm-hmm. oh, he got those hype ass songs, you know, like, but he has bars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Salutes to DMX. Salutes to DMX. Um, let's get out there. Hop, hop, hop. <laughs> uh, Kaylin, back to you. Yes. Uh, yeah, this is something we like to ask because I think, you know, it's important as an educator. Everyone has their their motivation. But why did you become a teacher? Man, you know, it was funny. I remember very. I don't remember too much from childhood, but I remember very vividly leaving. I was a bad kid. Um, I grew up in the principal's office, um, you know, <laughs> out of school, suspended from school all the time. Um, I remember in sixth grade when I was leaving the elementary school I was at, the principal, Mr. Oliphant, I still remember him, he called me and a friend of mine into the, uh, into the principal's office, and he goes, I want you guys to know I was going to retire two years ago. But there was no way that I was going to retire with you still at my school. <laughs> he sat me down in the office and he said, I'm going to, and he's like, I want, I want you to know what you've been up to. Uh, and he printed off every infraction. They used to call them citations. I don't know if you guys remember citations. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Every time you got a citation. And I think in like fourth, fifth and sixth grade, while I was at this school, I had like 54 citations or something like that. And I remember him sitting me down and basically telling me that I wasn't going to do much, right? Like, because of the way I am and just, just you know, that whole you're a bad kid sort of spiel. And then I, I remember another situation in fourth grade. I left. We I, I got in trouble. My mom had to come 
and do a, a parent-teacher conference with the counselor and the principal and all these people. And I remember leaving there saying, I have no idea why anybody would ever want to be a teacher, right? You don't, you don't make shit, you're not respected, and you got to deal with kids like me all the time. And I remember <laughs> telling my mom that. I probably didn't cuss, but I remember telling my mom those three things very vividly, and then I became a teacher. You know, and and I think, so I think really, you know, I always knew I wanted to work with kids from a very young age. You know, people would say, what did you want to do? And I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to work with kids. I was going to go into counseling. That program got cut from the university uh, in 2008 when I was trying to go to grad school. And somebody said, you should try an education course. And then I tried it and I fell in love with teaching and I knew that it was what I wanted to do. So, Great. I, you know, I, as a teacher, I always love hearing people mm-hmm. explain, you know, how they fell into the or came into the profession. It's always a little funny story sometimes, you know. Well, I just, you know, sometimes it's the it's those bad kids, you know, when we look at them, and those that's why I've always I've always had such an affinity for those those kids because I was me. You were one, yeah. Because yeah. you know we grew, just the way that we grew up and the situations that we grew up. Um, they, you know, I work with these underprivileged kids and I see myself a lot in them and how they're reacting. And, um, you know, and so we, we, a lot of times make the best teachers, right? Because we can connect with all of those kids and we can understand what they're going through. Um, so yeah. And then I just kind of fell in love. I'll be almost done there. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. So, So what's your favorite part about being a teacher? You know, for me, it's really the uh, just the impact, the social impact, right? Like, you know, from a professional with STEM education, I mean, I love STEM education, um, you know, science, technology, engineering, math, and how we can integrate that to foster critical thinking. I mean, I, I can talk for hours about STEM education, but really the social impact is what connects me the most with, uh, with teaching is just being able to um, create a relationship um, with my students and really have them feel supported and loved. Um, you know, that's always the best. Hey, baby girl, you gotta go outside. <laughs> I know, but they can see you in the background. They can see you playing. Here, here, comes, here comes mom to the rescue. <laughs> Super mom. Um, yeah, so just, yeah, it's always just been about the impact for me, you know, and that's why, um, you know, I mean, teaching kids, um, the academic piece is great, but it's always how can I help them feel just more loved, more appreciated, more listened to, give them the structure a lot of times that so many of them need and kind of provide that piece. Um, how do you see, especially as a STEM educator, how do you see the profession evolving as we move further into the 21st century? Well, I hope it's going towards STEM education. You know, I mean, for so long we look at how we teach you know, more fact-based, right? We want to provide content for these kids as opposed to developing skills. And so for me, STEM education is all about engagement, right? It's using science and engineering to engage students in what they're learning about. And so if I teach you, if I need to teach you when I'm teaching you how to read and write, if I'm teaching you through something that you're really interested in, and what's great about science and engineering is it's so multifaceted that you can find something that a student is engaged in. And we really look at it as more of a STEAM school too. So we're really focused on how we can use the arts because 
in my opinion, one of the most important qualities that a person can have, but it's one of the least fostered qualities that we see in education is creativity. Knew you were going to say that. Yes. <laughs> you know, I mean, creativity is everything. I mean, because yes. if you're creative, you're a problem solver, right? Mm -hmm. If you can be creative, you're able to look at things differently. And that's what we want, right? If you, if you have a CEO of a company, he doesn't go, oh, I want someone that scored a, you know, a 1580 on their SATs, they want somebody who's creative, who's a critical thinker, who can work well with others, right? Like we want quality attributes that go beyond just learning content and being able to regurgitate facts and information. And so that's really where I fell in love with STEM education is that to me, it's about developing those skills and traits and creativity and critical thinking and problem solving like that's what i want my kids i want them to develop that at school um because that's going to transcend far beyond the classroom um than more of the traditional core content sort of areas yeah it teach them it teaches more about everyday life situations that they could problem solve and get over you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well science you know because again we go through k through five I can guarantee you there's first grade science standards that a lot of adults don't know. <laughs> right. Yeah, I guarantee you. Straight up. Like, and I'm telling you right now, like there's stuff that mm -hmm. like if I were to come up to a, an, an adult and say, could you define biomimicry for me? Right. There's not a lot of, of adults, but biomimicry is actually a first grade standard that we teach. And it's basically how humans have learned from nature. And we, we steal ideas from nature and engineering to develop new products, right? So if we see like how um, uh, the like a dolphin's tail, mm -hmm. right? We saw a fish, who, okay, well that gave an engineer an idea to create flippers, right? Yeah. Or, you know, like, so we, we see things around us in nature and we steal those ideas and they influence engineering. We teach first graders about that. We teach them the, diff the connection between nature and engineering. And most adults and most people wouldn't know that. And um, it's, it's fun because kids, you know, it's cool to learn about why things are the way they are. You know, when you go outside and you look at the things around you. That should, that should be the basis of education to me. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, because, you know, what's the point of it if you're not engaged? Yeah. You know, I, I, can, I can have the greatest lesson plan. Or, well, I can have, you know, we think about. With instruction, a lot of it is assessment. They look at how you use assessment to guide your instruction. So I can have the greatest assessment and all these scaffolds and differentiated instruction and all the effective grouping. If my students aren't engaged in what they're learning, it doesn't matter. I've already lost them, right? Engagement can make up for being a shitty teacher, right? Like you might not, <laughs> you don't necessarily have to be the greatest teacher if your kids are engaged in what they're doing. And so I've always felt as an, as an educator that I want my kids, I always wanted my kids, <clears throat> excuse me, to want to come to school. I, you know, I always ask myself, would I want to be doing this right now if I was in the class? And if it was a no, I really tried my best not to do that. You know, I tried to find ways to make it more fun. Um, and I just think it's something that traditional schooling is really lacking in right now. We, you know, we, we get so caught up in standardized testing Standardized testing is an absolute joke. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It does not, it does not assess, you know, your child may not, you know, uh, be at the hundred percentile for math or reading, but they have a gift, you know, and it, the, those, those assessments don't 
assess their ability of creativity or critical thinking mm -hmm. or problem solving or their ability to collaborate with others or how effectively they communicate with individuals. They don't assess any of that. It's just and how so, you can re regurgitate what yeah, you've learned. It's, and it's that's basically, it. yeah. Like, it, like a memory it, kind of thing. Yeah. Do we ha And so, you know, we spend tens of millions of dollars every year on standardized testing to basically not even for the student. Standardized testing is to tell teachers whether or not they're doing a good job. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, schools, it's so schools can say they're doing something, you know, it's just, it's just so the system can say, look, it's a we're, you know, this is what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, like, and they don't, they yeah. don't truly, they don't reflect the effectiveness of a teacher either, because we understand mm -hmm. that working in certain demographics and working in certain areas that those standardized testing, those kids taking those standardized tests, like I could be in a, in a classroom, if the parental support is there, if they have the background knowledge and experiences at home, they're gonna be able to come into school and perform much more effectively on these standardized tests versus when we don't have that. And then all of a sudden you're assessing a, a teacher's ability based on that, when you're not really taking into account the social factors that are influencing that child's ability to perform. And like, for example, I had a student a, long, uh, a couple years ago, and he actually had a diagnosed learning disability, right? Like you could tell when, you know, like just interacting with him that there was some processing issues, you know, slightly slower, um, great kid, first percentile in math and reading. So all standard, and he was, he was in sixth grade at the time, first percentile in math and reading. Special education resources, tons of resource, you know, trying to provide him and you know, when you have a student that's in the first, second percentile in sixth grade, they didn't just get that way all of a sudden. They've been that way going through school his entire life at the bottom, right? And so what does that tell that student? Because all he's been exposed to was traditional schooling is that he's not smart, that he doesn't have a gift, right? That he's not one of the smart kids, that school isn't for him. But um, I was, I, you know, I got an opportunity to work with him and I introduced him to 3D printing. And so we had a 3D printer at the school and I sat him in front of a computer and they use CAD software. And that's the software that you can use to design on a 3D printer. Mm -hmm. This kid could make the most amazing, amazing designs on a 3D printer. And he taught himself how to use the software. All I did is I showed it to him. I showed him some YouTube videos some that kind of walked him through it. And he would make these these pieces, and then he he always had a book that he drew in, and he had all these great art pieces that he would draw, and then he would create these like this amazing dinosaur that was like over 150 individual pieces put together, and then he wrote this like four page story about this dinosaur and its travels through time, and just That's totally awesome. now now was it grammatically correct? No. Right? Was was the was the structure of the writing adequate for sixth grade? No, it wasn't. But he, I remember his his special education teacher coming to me and saying, "We haven't been able to get him to write more than a paragraph his whole like career in, in education." And he wore and he wrote a story about a dinosaur. Oh, and he and he went off on it. I mean, he we had to stop him from writing because he just kept. And then he and then he would create this amazing train, and this train went to battle, and it was carrying the wounded soldiers back over. And he just had this imagination. He had yeah. this amazing yeah. imagination. Here's the thing about this child: if you could identify that strength, 
and you put him into a position where the classes and the training that he was getting was designed towards graphic design, computer engineering, Creative you know, writing, that, that right. field, right? He will flourish. Mm -hmm. But what, unfortunately, he's probably left our school and went back to the traditional schooling and will never have an opportunity to participate in those sort of things. And then we'll get, he'll get through high school and then we'll, he'll, he'll never have even had an opportunity to tap into that potential that he had. And I remember kids, they would see the things that he would make and they were blown away. They're like, how did he make this? So it's just, you know, to me, every, every person has a gift, right? Every person has a talent. Um, and as educators, our job is not to teach, it's to help facilitate and foster the gifts that our students have. And if we limit ourselves to just kind of traditional math and reading, not to say that math and reading aren't important, but if that's all we're exposing them to, we're limiting their ability to figure out what are the qualities and traits that I have that make me special. And then as, a, as an educator, we, we find it and then we help amplify that, right? We help facilitate that, that growth piece. And so um, that's where I'm hoping we can continue to have more STEAM-based education, more arts in the schools, um, more focus on the holistic development of a child versus can they read and do math well, right? Like that, that there's, more, there's more to a human being than their ability to read and cite evidence from a text and their ability to work through basic math computation, right? Like we can yeah. do better, right, this is basically. So changing the subject completely, Sweet. Have you thought about running for office or <laughs> any other positions of leadership? You know, I don't know, man. Like people have asked me that question a lot. Um, I really, I really enjoy being in education. Um, and, and, but I really enjoy the activism piece. You know, I really like organizing everyday, you know, what I say is kind of everyday people around a cause. You know, it's very... I think a lot of people go through life trying to find something to fill them up, right? Like what, 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 you know, we're all looking, we're all searching for that happiness. And what I've found for myself is that, you know, working towards something bigger than yourself and really feeling like you're fighting for other people, it fills me up, you know, like it, 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 it gives me purpose. It, so, you know, I guess I kind of sidestepped that question a little bit. I really don't know. Um, you know, who knows, really? Who knows? I just want to be in a place that I can have the biggest impact possible is where I want to be, you know? And, and if it's in the classroom or if it's at a school, if it's in a position elsewhere that I can have a, lot, uh, a big impact on my community, that's where I want to go. Okay. So uh, what do you want to say to your fellow educators with the – upcoming obstacles that are coming next week as they as they prepare to return to the classroom next week what, what do you have what's the message we got to get active you know like just as, as simple as it can be we have to get active right we have to show up we have to make sure that we are doing everything in our power to lift up our voices and that's the thing that blows me away and i talk to other people that i'm active with you know what if educators today said you know what i'm done with this shit like i'm done and i am i am getting active like i am going to start organizing i'm going to start showing up to these meetings i'm going to start writing letters i'm going to start testifying at bill hearings i'm going to get active within my union or whatever it is if they decided it it would change overnight 
educators don't understand the power that they really have, right? We don't, because everything works through public education. And if educators just said, you know what, I'm done, we're done allowing this to happen and we're gonna stand up, it would change overnight. And so what we've been just trying to ask educators is to get active. So get active through ENT, get active through um, your local union, get active just on your own, right? Like write your school board, write your politician. You know, if you see a rally or an event that you support, show up to it, right? Vote for the, like go and vote for the people that, you know, actually educate yourself on the, on the candidates, right? Don't just vote like I used to do when I would look at Democrats and go, okay, well, you're a Democrat, I'm voting for you. You know, I'm looking at it now, like, okay, what candidates are out there that are actually going to reflect my priorities? So just, we got to get active, you know, and uh, the time's right now, and, and there's a lot of people that are doing it, so it's exciting. Well, you know, I, as a fellow educator, I thank you for your leadership and, and your work, uh, and thank you for your time for joining us today. Um, we're going to take a short break. If you've got to go, we understand. If you can hang out for a little bit longer, that's cool, too. You know, I think I got, I can give you a little bit more time, but we do got to get out of here in a little bit. But, uh, okay. you know, I like, like shooting the shit with you guys. It's fun, That's man. good. Good conversation. So, yeah, absolutely. Sean, what's your song of the week? My song of the week is, uh, Alicia Keys debuted it at her, uh, Tiny Desk concert. Uh, just came out last month. Um, we played the single before the, the official version has Miguel on it, but this is a more subdued version. It's called Show Me Love. Because I feel like listening to her and the song, this is what teachers want. They just want, they want people to show us some love. So, uh, and show the profession and the, the students and the systems of love. So show me love, Alicia Keys, uh, listen and enjoy. How much, you know, how much we all just want to be shown some love, you know? And I think now more than ever, it's just a time where we need that love more than we ever needed it before, you know? And I think we all can feel that. We can all feel the need and the desire for respect and, and just uplifting each other and just seeing each other, you know? Seeing each other and just recognizing the beauty in each other. Because we get so caught up and the life goes so fast. And the next thing we know, that's really what, what links us. So whenever I play this song, I like people to sing with me. So I hope y'all not a shy bunch. <laughs> Don't seem right here. So help me. I'll say it one time and then y'all say it one time. Okay? So we can just exercise the love showing. Show me love. You. season for nobody else but I always get wrapped up in you baby I'm in love we gon' get 
get this love like we never done it. Baby, I'm in love. Go ahead, show me how. Like we never done it. Ooh, I got you running. Every time I give you some, show me love. Red lights, and you crashed in it like a deer inside of headlights. Yeah, I show you love like it was passionate. I just wanna bask in it, winning it like a championship. You gon' show me love like, like you tried it and denied it, but you still let me apply it. Like I made you put your ties in. Show me love, even when you don't got time, but I'll be there to find you. I'll remind you. Show me love. Like we freaking on a weekend, show me love. I eat up the second times and minutes for your love. This is not the season for nobody else but love. I always get wrapped up in you, baby. I'm in love. We gon' get this love like we never done it, baby. I'm in love. Go ahead, show me love like we never done it. Ooh, I got you running every time I give you some. Welcome back, guys. That was Sean's song of the week, and it was uh, Show Me Love by Alicia Keys, and it was her Tiny Desk version. 
Yeah, uh, you know, I just I love Alicia Keys. Who does? Literally, who doesn't? Been in love with her since I was a teenager. Swiss Beats, and, uh, Swiss Beats. Salute to you, my friend. Is a lucky man. Is a lucky man. Yes. But uh, you know, check out her tiny desk. It's amazing. Uh, she's so talented as a musician. You know, playing piano, singing, composing, mm-hmm. right, a songwriter, does it all. And the tiny desk, you know, is a perfect example of that. So, uh, you know, just gotta show her some love. You know, uh-huh. we, I don't think we. We talk about her that much on the radio show or the podcast, so mm-hmm. uh, salutes to her. Yeah, she's super influential, uh, super musically tan- talented. I think she like knows a couple of instruments like very well and profoundly. But like, yeah, and it's just you know amazing. Voice is fantastic. Yeah. All right, now time for our meandering questions, mm-hmm. Kaylin. We asked versions of these questions to many of our guests. Your answers can be short; they can be long. Uh, you can explain or you cannot. You don't. It's up to you uh, how you answer them. This so will the first. Question, this will make and break everything about you. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Uh, what What's the one thing you've been doing that you don't normally do to help pass the time during lockdown? Started running. Like I, I like I like love fitness and like to stay active, but just to run to run shoot me man like in the face and that but that was all i could do so i started running but now the, the other gyms are open back up so i stopped doing that <laughs> so okay going to the gym now yeah okay. playing basketball now again what's your favorite activity during the summertime normal summer times yeah. normal summer times <laughs> concerts live music man i just yeah. summertime concerts man I know right oh god man that's been tough not being able to go to any shows man like i just try to fill it up with as much live music as possible do you have a, a genre or a place you like to go or a festival you like to go to you know we 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 kind of bounce all over the place you know and i love all genres of music for the most part i'm not a huge country guy um i don't really like 80s rock like that stuff <laughs> is damn i don't really like those but outside of that you know i can get down with it but um you know we try usually we've been to high sierra festival um, Hell yeah! Do, Sean yeah, loves that. Like, that's always a that's always a fun fun jam to go to. But you know what's great about Reno is in the surrounding areas is how much how many live music venues that we have. Mm-hmm. You know we get a lot of like summer concert tours going through Tahoe are always pretty solid. Um, you know we're just you know we're real quick to get into Sacramento area too, and the Bay has a bunch of great venues too. So um, yeah, anything you know, hip hop is what I kind of growing up on i was always a big hip-hop junkie but uh reggae and then you know have my classic rock phase where i was going through that and then you know we uh we uh consider ourselves burners we haven't been out for the last few years because we had a bunch of kids back to back (laughs) but uh, prior to that we had spent several years and so you know in certain occasions more that trap edm music i like not not heavy Heavy kind of like a Skrillex style. That's a little too machine like. More, me. more techno. Yeah, not even. I think more hip hop influence. Okay, okay. Like house, like yeah. house music. Yeah, well, yeah. Like yes. Anything, anything where you're taking a hip hop music, a hip hop jam, and you're remixing it uh, with more like just mm-hmm. heavier bass and more of that EDM style. Like I love that shit. The it's house trap. All right. Yeah, yeah. You can dance to. 
Yeah. Yeah, man. You just get down with that. So we, we, uh, you know, so I like that, but that's on, you know, I don't, I don't listen to that in my car though. Yeah. Like, I'm not right. car, like doing that, but like certain situations, that's the best, you know, but I also, I love R and B music. You know, a lot of times funny mm. enough when I'm at home, I listen to like, if I'm, if I'm listening to a Pandora station, like voice to men radio, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. So, like, I love voice to men. Yes. Bro. Like, yes. I, I will, I will cruise around and sing voice to men. All like you like people all don't fucking know how day, all fucking yeah. day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so you have all those sort of like <laughs> '90s R&B jams that come on, and you're like, oh, I, you know, yeah, I totally forgot about no, that. You just sing all. And I'm so happy it's making a resurgence, you know? Yeah. Because like Brandy sure. just came out with an album. She's like R. <laughs> she's like R. A. like almost 40 years old, you know? Like, and but R&B, especially old R&B. I was talking to someone at Record Street. Old R&B. If you really listen to the lyrics, it's nasty, you know, and a lot of people and a lot of people don't like think about that, you know, but because yeah, they were singing it and grabbing yeah. air and everything. you were distracted and you were distracted. But like, they're nasty. They talk about yeah, nasty sure. shit. Yeah, yeah. And For like sure. the new R&B is a little softer. We call it, you know, it's a little softer, but the, like old R&B, they're talking about doing inappropriate things to you all day, every day, you know. We just, uh, me and my girlfriend just watched uh, Long Shot with uh, <laughs> Seth Rogen and Charlize Theron, and That's it has a Boys to Men. That's a Boys good one. Boys to Men in it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Any of those. So, I mean, I that's the thing is, you know, in terms of music, try to, you know, and, and funk music, like love, love funk music. Um, you well, know. if you're going to High Sierra, I assume that. Yes. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. something there for sure. Um, it, yeah, it just depends on, uh, just depends on the mood, right? Yeah, no, no, exactly. And if you love music, there's different, different times for different genres of music. And that's what people don't understand. Like if they want to be like straight hip hop, like, no, there's, there's more to music than that. When it just also like, you kind of go through phases, you know, like I like just over the last six months, like I forgot about voice to men and i was like oh my goodness how could I ever? Like, it just reminded me of my like, like my middle school days you know yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Or, like or like at the skate rink when i was younger and like at kids. roller kingdom oh bro like at the skating rink was like i used to just get down and i used to love that music you yeah know? and then and then you know i've always been a huge roots fan like i remember one of the mm-hmm. my favorite was um the things fall apart they had their live album from new york yeah oh yeah and that yeah. whole thing, man, was just, it was so, um, you know, and I'm not, I haven't been staying as current, you know, with, with hip hop music because I mean, my son, you know, he, he, oh, he walks around with headphones, like, just like you look right now. Awesome. He's, awesome. He looks like all day. I have to make him take him off because he just always wears them. And so he's really into kind of new hip hop scene sort of thing. Me and um, your son but, would get along. Yeah. <laughs> There you go. All right. Um, what do you prefer more, a cheeseburger or pizza? Oh, damn. Hard tackling questions that open the mix. Yeah, man. That's a tough one, dude. That's a, that's a defining one. Um, <laughs> probably a burger, man. What's your favorite burger place yeah, in Reno? From where? And if you say in and out your son's cooler than you. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely uh no definitely not in and out you know um what's the joint right over um burger me okay they, they got a spot over in north town like burger me's got some pretty 
some pretty dang burgers over okay. there. They also got a joint out in Southtown. I think that's probably... They have good shakes, too, I feel like. Yeah. That, that jumped out to me. Mm-hmm. They got these specialty burgers, man. They, like, put, like, infused stuff inside the patties. And then they'll have all these, like, different sauces and, like, toppings on them. So, yeah, that's pretty good. Sometimes a variety is very important. Sure. All right. Uh, next one. Best thing you've watched during quarantine? Ooh, what have I watched during quarantine? I've watched too much, that's for sure. Yeah, that's the thing is I've watched so much too, I can't even remember like what no. the last thing that I went through was. Yeah, it's tough. I got to focus on like one oh, show. Oh, you know what? Oh, we did. We we got into, um, oh shit, a lot of people because the new season came out. Um, Man, the show, I'm just drawing a blank. Where they're in the Ozarks, you know, in the family. Uh, Ozark? <laughs> Oh, Ozark, yeah, Ozark, that movie, yeah, you know, they're in the Ozark, Ozark, and that, movie, that fucking show was kick-ass, yeah. Is that the one with uh, Jason Bateman? Yeah. Mm-hmm, Ozark was dope, yeah, we watched, I was like, oh, you know, in the Ozark, yeah, Ozark, they, uh, <laughs> that, um, when that, because the new season came out, and everyone was like, oh, you gotta watch the new season, so we had to go back and watch the first five seasons yeah. before that. No, yeah, Jay- we, we, came, we came through Ozark, so I like yeah. that. JT gets, he wants me to watch that real bad. It'll probably be next. Yeah. It'll be next after Clone Wars. I'm almost done. I'm on the last season of Clone Wars. Uh, okay. No, it's good, man. Ozarks is good. Um, also, to uh, anything like anything that has to do like any with any of the cartels where they had, you know, um, on uh, like Narcos. I love Narcos. That's my Narcos, man. All the Narcos. Super. <laughs> I watch those from Pablo all the way. Yeah. Now they're the Mexico start one. Yeah, through the Mexico one, and then they got what's his name, uh, Guzman, right? Mm-hmm. Like you could Chapo, Chapo, Chapo. Yeah, Chapo's those, coming. Through. Those shows make it feel where like I could potentially be a fucking narco. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm down the light chain steel. <laughs> All right, uh, where's one place you've been going with most things closed? You have a family? Is there is there a park or anything, or where have you been going? Just up to the lake. You know, we've been trying to get camping as much as possible, but just you know, Tahoe's always quick. Even if it's like we go out to like Stampede or Boca for just the afternoon, just to kind of get outside and get them running around. But yeah, for the most part, you know, we've uh, we like to go. Um, our trip each year, we go diving up in Northern California. So we go off like the Mendocino, Fort Bragg area. Okay, okay. We always like to go diving around there. And uh, that got canceled because of COVID too. So we were able to do some camping around there, but they just, uh, you know, closing campgrounds and, and Airbnb joints. So yeah, pretty much the lake though. Okay. Nice. What do you miss during the lockdown? concerts man like i really miss going to shows you know like i just show and even, you know comedy shows those are like i i love like when local you know we actually got a really good circuit for comedians that come through here that a lot no, of people definitely. don't know whether it's the comedy club at uh the silver legacy or the underground like yeah you know, those are always cool little you know it's twenty dollars twenty five dollars for a ticket and you know the the people opening up might not be as great, but the headliners are always, it's always worth the money. Yeah, because you know? like you're always laughing and having a good time. Like, it, like it yeah. doesn't matter, like you said, if I go to the Legacy or the Underground, I'm always going to be laughing, and that's the most important yeah. thing. It's worth the money, you know? It's like, yeah. 
few day, but you know, go go to dinner, go to a comedy show. Um, yeah, but yeah, definitely missing missing music. And then for the kids, it's been tough because so much of their stuff's been closed through camps or sports camps, so they've been at home. So it's just like wanting them to be able to go and have some fun and, and you know do their thing. But they'll be fine. They can kids will survive. They're kids. They could weather it. <laughs> and a lot of people are, you know, oh my, and I'm not, you know, obviously certain kids are in tougher situations, but I have some friends like, oh my, my kids and then like, they're losing it. And I'm like, well, do something with them. You know, like, you know, like they're kids, like it's okay. You know, like they can still go outside and play around and, and run and do all these things. It's not, you know, if, if they're, if they're having mental health issues right now over this, it's probably because you're not really. You got to interact with them. Like, like that's the thing. With your kids a little bit. You know? like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like they're, they're struggling <laughs> without their friends because they have no one to talk, hang out with. Maybe, exactly, maybe and like interact. Role for a little bit. Interact. With, <laughs> interact with your child. Like that's important. Yeah. Don't just send them that's back to school so they can hang out with friends and a teacher. You know, yeah, like exactly. it's important to interact with your child. Absolutely. <laughs> what? What's the first thing you're gonna do when all this is over? COVID related. COVID. When COVID's over. Um. Yeah, man. Plan a trip. We were supposed to go overseas. We had, you know, my wife and I. We just. I have three kids. The one's a bit older, so one's 12, and then we have a two-year-old, and then our daughter's almost four. So we had our. Dang. Our, uh, like our three and like our kids really close. And so we haven't been out of the country for a while. And that was always our thing. We'd save up all our money. You know, we didn't have like the nicest stuff around us, but the yeah. money that we did have, we're doing something with it. You know, it was much more about like doing things versus having things. And uh, we were supposed to go out of the country um, this summer. Like a lot of people, it got canceled. So as soon as this thing's done, we're planning a vacation. Where are you guys? Without the kids too. Where, where are you guys going to go? <laughs> Um, well, we were, we were supposed to go down, um, we were going to go down to Ecuador with okay. the trip for the, for the summer. Um, but depending on how much time we've been wanting to go to the Pacific islands for a while. Um, so, but we don't want to take the kids, honestly, no, totally understandable because I love to travel. Like my singapore trip got canceled my new york trip got canceled yeah, like everything like that and like but like what's awesome about you like your kids are old enough that they could like enjoy a trip you know because sure. like right now my baby's like one and some change you know so i'm just uh -huh. like lady let's take a trip somewhere let's leave the baby with grandma she's not going to remember anyways like <laughs> you know because like i'm not I'm not going to take my baby on her like a big trip until she's like five or six until she could regurgitate and remember things. Yeah. Well, and just traveling with kids. And that's the thing is one of them's older, but the other one, you know, the other one just turned two and the other one will be four. So they're just, you know, like my oldest, but we're just, Hey, you know, my mother-in-law lives in Vegas We can go drop them off for a couple of weeks. Sounds like, <laughs> sounds, sounds like a plan. Now, now I don't know. Next summer, I guess. Yeah. You know? Up in the mix approves. Drop, drop, the, <laughs> drop the kids off at grandma. Well, that's that's the meandering questions, Kalen. Awesome, Thank you. Man. You did a great job. Thank you, guys. Provi I really appreciate you providing people in our community with the platform to speak on, right? And that's it's what we huge. do. We, we want to help everyone all day, every day.
Nice. Well, I appreciate what you guys are doing, okay? Thank you. Thank you for uh, being on the show. Uh, thank you for joining us. If people want to learn more about Empower Nevada Teachers, where can they go? So you can go on Facebook. We have a page, Empower Nevada Teachers. We also have a website, EmpowerNVTeachers.org. Um, we're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. We got most of the social media platforms covered. We're not TikToking yet. That's not really where we're going. But uh, <laughs> It's going out the window us. anyway. <laughs> yeah exactly so uh yeah check us out and uh you know and it's not just you know for educators we want anybody who's you know wants to bring uh positive changes to education to get active with us so come check us out awesome well uh thank you again for being here uh make sure you check caesar and i out every friday night from 9 to 11 on 97.7 k-wink for up in the mix radio and uh, you can look, find our podcast anywhere podcasts are available. Yeah, so um, thank you for listening. This is Traxu Papi saying uh, be active and be safe, be protected. And uh, that's pretty much it. This is Sean. You know, to all my fellow educators, good luck. Godspeed. <laughs> stay safe, stay healthy, and use your powers for good. Well, there you have it, hip hoppers and mark ass busters, baby mamas and nine of fivers. This is another fine ass edition of Up in the Mix with Captain Kulo, the truth, and the token white guy. I just want y'all to know last time I got blowed, Snickers bars was a nickel. This is AKA Most Death, AKA El Negro, AKA Grumpy, AKA Jamal left at 2.15 a.m. saying peace and hair grease. Make sure you follow at www.upinthemix.live and Della Fotorino. That's D-E-L-A-F-O-T-O-R-E-N-O. So until next time, stay black.